sacrament, a visible sign of an invisible grace or goodness. When I heard that our worship theme for this month, for April, was sacrament, my thoughts turned to the great communion controversy caused by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Nerd alert. <laughs> at the time, he was serving as minister at Second Unitarian Church in Boston, and Emerson was in his late 20s, so he had yet to become famous for the things that you may have learned about in high school English class, his essays and his leadership in the Transcendentalist movement. His ministry at Second Unitarian which began in 1829 and lasted only four years, was fraught from the very beginning. Back in this time, Unitarians were still a distinctly Christian denomination. And so as part of his ministerial duties, Emerson was expected to regularly offer the sacrament of communion. But he just couldn't do it in good conscience. For Emerson, the spiritual journey was a deeply inward journey, and he understood our connection to the sacred as something absolutely unmediated. No priestly middleman, no sacraments, no rituals needed to connect with the holy. This guy was radically Protestant. For Emerson, the sacraments of the church felt like barriers to a deep, authentic connection with the source of our very being. Ralph Waldo Emerson's refusal to offer communion created a huge uproar among the Unitarian establishment in Boston. The church he was serving, they loved him, but this was just too much. The congregation tried to negotiate with him, uh, maybe he could offer them communion, but just not take it himself? But that wouldn't work for Emerson, and they couldn't find any common ground. Ralph Waldo Emerson eventually left the professional Unitarian ministry to pursue life as a writer and a philosopher, focusing on the human capacity for a direct, transcendent experience of the holy. In one of his final encounters with the church establishment, he addressed the graduating class of Harvard Divinity School and admonished the future ministers to refuse the good models, even those which are sacred, and to dare to love God without mediator or veil. I don't share this story this morning to criticize or disparage communion as it's practiced by our neighboring faith communities. I share this story simply to say, this is part of who we are. This is part of where we come from. We come from a radically Protestant people striving for integrity and authenticity in religion. And because of this, we have often ended up letting go of liturgy and theology that feels restrictive to us. We are a people for whom the clergy are no closer to the great mystery than anyone else. We are a people who are free to believe what we must believe, holding our personal experience and our faculties of reason as our deepest sources of religious authority. 
So given all of this, how might we Unitarian Universalists experience sacrament? So holding this question, let's hop one century forward to January 24th, 1975. This is the night of Keith Jarrett's famed piano concert in the Opera House of Cologne, Germany. And the music improvised that night is the very same music that Jared Wendland is offering this morning with such eloquence. Thank you, Jared. So Keith Jarrett arrived in the Opera House in Cologne, Germany, feeling awful from a long drive from Switzerland. He was in pain from back problems, and he was actually wearing a back brace. He had gotten sick on bad Italian food from a restaurant. He hadn't slept in two days. This particular concert had been arranged by an inexperienced 17-year-old promoter. And despite her best efforts, Keith Jarrett got stuck with an unusually late time slot, nearly at midnight after the opera had finished. And if all of this were not bad enough, when Jarrett arrived at the, at the opera house, he was appalled to discover that the particular concert grand piano that he had been promised was, in fact, nowhere to be found. Instead, the Opera House staff had gotten confused and they found a different piano made by the same company and assumed that that was the one that Jarrett had requested, so they put that one on stage. And this piano was awful. It was small. It was only intended for rehearsals. It had terrible sound with these tinny high notes and really weak bass notes. The pedals didn't even work right. Keith Jarrett was ready to call it off and send the technicians home. But the thing is that the concert was sold out and there were 1,400 people in that concert hall waiting to hear him that night. And the promoter convinced him to stay and he did. Keith Jarrett went out on stage determined to get the most beautiful music possible out of this shabby instrument and the unwanted piano actually shaped his music. Using two flawed instruments, his body and the piano, he created a transcendent musical experience. He offered listeners great beauty, an encounter with an invisible greater grandeur. He worked with the weaknesses of the instrument, choosing to improvise extensively with one hand while maintaining one or two chords for long periods with the other, creating an almost meditative, hypnotic quality to the music. And his improvisations fused together jazz and classical and blues music with this great creativity and virtuosity. And Jarrett himself was so moved by performing this music that on the recording you can hear him vocalizing through grunts and hums 
It turns out that the recording of this concert broke records of all kinds, and it remains the best-selling solo piano album of all time. Something big was moving through the space that night under very unlikely circumstances. This was a transcendent experience created by and through the very humble materials of flesh and blood, wood and wire, an aching, exhausted body, and a beat-up piano. But the way that they came together offered a brush with the holy, a sacramental connection to something far greater. From our reading this morning, life is the only way to get covered in leaves. Catch your breath on the sand, rise on wings, to be a dog or stroke its warm fur. An extraordinary chance to remember for a moment a conversation held with the lamp switched off. And if only once to stumble upon a stone, end up soaked in one downpour or another, mislay your keys in the grass, to follow a spark on the wind with your eyes and to keep on not knowing something important. Life is the only way to keep on not knowing something important. This is really the essence of the human predicament, continuing not knowing something important. This is the core of the religious impulse, that sense that there is something profoundly important moving in us and among us, a wholeness that we can sense we are a part of. And we catch a glimpse of it when we find ourselves covered in leaves or in conversation with the lamp switched off or swept away by a flurry of notes from a piano. We yearn, we reach, we use music, art, ritual, dance, we use our bodies, we use our hearts, we use our brains to try to get at it, to try to fully know this something profoundly important, but we can't. The fullness of the mystery of life cannot be taken in all at once. The best we can do is to catch a glimpse, like a stranger's body walking by, like a wink from something bigger. And this is the part where we talk about God's backside. In the book of Exodus, Moses says to God, Show me your glory. Please help me understand the nature of this commitment that you're asking from me. I want to know you. Can't I just see your face? Just real quick. <laughs> and God responds with, no, sorry. No one can see my face and live. However, God does allow Moses a view of the sacred body 
not the face, but the back. As theologian Sally McFaig notes, the passage unites guts and glory, flesh and spirit, the human and the divine, and all those other apparent dualisms with a reckless flamboyance. And the message is this. You can't fully take in the depths of the sacred all at once. You're going to have to keep on not knowing something important. But you can encounter the sacred in the human form, in the natural world, and this is where the sacred is present. This is where it's showing itself to us, winking at us. The world around us is sacramental, a visible sign of an invisible goodness and grace and truth. The soil that grows the plants, the air that sustains all living things, the water that gives life, the human body, whether that body is playing piano with incredible grace or just walking past us in the most ordinary way. This is Emerson's communion, an unmediated encounter with the holy as found in nature, and we are a part of that nature. And so what would it look like to live our lives as though the whole world, including all people, were an embodiment of the holy? What would that look like in this time of deep strife and division and even abject hatred? It begins with simply beholding the world noticing beauty, being ready for the glimpses, letting those glimpses of the sacred ground us in gratitude and in wonder. And it means going past simply beholding, but honoring all bodies as part of the sacred whole, transgender bodies, brown bodies, differently abled bodies, female bodies, aging bodies, it also means strategically using our own bodies as tools of sacrament, positioning ourselves as visible signs of an invisible goodness and grace. It means showing up when fear and deep-seated bigotry try to silence and subjugate and render invisible so many of our sisters and brothers using race, religion, immigration status, gender identity, or some other false division. We use our bodies as tools of sacrament every time we show up, gathered at the Capitol, occupying our streets, parks, malls, highways. We use our bodies as tools of sacrament every time we show up in a hard, honest conversation with coworkers, neighbors, or a family member. Every time we show up as a caregiver, as a friend, as a stranger who cares, we offer our bodies as, in, as visible signs of an invisible truth 
the truth that we are all in this together, that every life has deep value, that no life deserves more protection than another, that no body should be more likely to be killed than another, that we all spring from the same sacred source and we are all worthy of dignity and love. Showing up this way doesn't require any special expertise, just courage and an open heart and making the time. And we can begin today. May we behold the world with new eyes, catching glimpses of the sacred in each other and in everything around us. May our living reflect the depth of our connection to one another and may gratitude and right relationship be our prayer. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>